0: All right, if you have Matthew 26 open and you're able, I'll ask you to stand. I'm going to read verses 31 through 35, but then I'm going to read 37, 40, 56, 58, 69 through 75. So um, I'll read to 35, and then I'm going to bounce through the rest of this because I'm, I'm capturing the whole story in this chapter in, in one sermon. The sermon I have before me today, I've entitled... Lord, I will never, dot, dot, dot. And I think that's something we have to be careful of. Matthew 26, and verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Verse 37, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be very sorrowful and heavy. Verse 40, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Verse 56, But all this was done that the scriptures... Of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Verse 58, But Peter followed him afar off, unto the high priest's palace, and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Verse 69, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also, was with Jesus of Galilee but he denied before them all saying I know not what thou sayest and when he was gone out into the porch another maid saw him and said unto them that were there this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth and again he denied with an oath I do not know the man and after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to peter surely Thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Father, we ask that we would all learn something of this for our own lives, about our own selves and our own weakness, and that God can still use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I will never, said Peter. Oh, the bravado of those words. Spoken just before he fell. But thankfully this is not the end of the story for Peter. One argument for the veracity and historicity of the scriptures is called the criterion of embarrassment. Maybe you've heard of that. Maybe you haven't. Let me define it for you. The criterion of embarrassment is a type of historical analysis in which a historical account is deemed likely to be true under the inference that the author would have no reason to invent a historical account which might embarrass him." Well, one of the loudest arguments for under the category of the criterion of embarrassment is Peter's denial. say it's the loudest because all four Gospels record in detail what I just read you can read in Mark you can read in Luke and you can read in John all three denials all the protestations Jesus prophecy that it was going to happen is uh, unabridged and included in all four gospel accounts so if Peter were a Pope He would have probably wanted this stricken from the record. If if the Bible were not true, um, you know, and people want to make that argument, you can always point to the fact then why is the seemingly number one guy shown in such a way of embarrassment? Well, because the Bible is about God. Each Inspired evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, places this account alongside the death, burial, and resurrection in length and in breadth and in volume. And That could be because it fulfills a specific prophecy from Zechariah 13.7, which is, you know, if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. But the fourfold account of this scattering and denial is no doubt included for the purpose of instruction. as to our own weaknesses, and for the purpose of exalting Christ's steadfastness in moving on alone. Well, let's give some pretext to this. Because this has been in process for six months. This isn't something that Peter had a moment of weakness. No, this has been going on for six months. What's been going on, you say? where the Lord Jesus says one thing and Peter says another. This has become habitual with Peter. You can go back to Matthew 16, 13, when it began up north in Caesarea Philippi is when this all started. It started, ironically enough, with the elevation of Peter. And there's a bit of a warning in that. Beware. Beware. Beware when men speak well of you. Beware when you're promoted. We see that um, Peter here is put forth as exemplary. in Verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. This is a beatitude. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. And then, with that, the mention of the keys. Verse 19, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so this is an exalted um, position to which Peter has been placed at the fore. But it doesn't take long for it to go to his head. Because verse 21 says, From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. We have a parallelism here. It says that Jesus began to say something. So this is the beginning, these last six months, where Jesus is going to say this over and over and over and over from that time forth. He'll say it in many different ways the chief priests, the elders, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise again. He's going to keep saying this. And in parallel fashion in verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, "Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And that began to rebuke, is in its imperfect tense. it's saying that this became the as Jesus as it says, from that time forth began to say he was going to have to die, Peter began to say, no, Lord, no. And so this, this started six months ago. The seeds of discord, the seeds of Peter's fall. More seeds were sown on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you just turn a page in your Bible, if you need to, to 17, Verse 5, and 4 and 5. So after they were in Caesarea Philippi up there in the north country, um, this uh, elevation of Peter and his immediate rebuke of the Lord that started to divide the two of them, um, then Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration where they proceeded to sleep which again comes back in our story today, the sleeping disciples, Peter, James, and John. All three slept, but the purpose of the Mount of Transfiguration was the ordination of Christ's words concerning his imminent death and departure. It was to confirm that. Not only to confirm that in the mind of Christ, but to confirm it in the mind of these disciples because of what just happened. So Peter, James, and John are there. They're asleep. Elijah and Moses appear, and they began to talk of Jesus' decease, his his death and departure in Jerusalem. And as they're talking about this, Peter wakes up. And he realizes, whoa, we're missing out. So what does he do? Verse 4, Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, One for Moses and one for Elias. So Peter's like, hey, let's stay here. Well, Peter gets reprimanded by the Father. Verse 5: Will yet spake, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Peter, I don't care about your ideas. What I care about is that Jesus told you something. He's going to die, and you need to encourage him. You need to support him. You need to believe him and stop denying what he's telling you. The Father God said, this is my will. He's going to die. Moses and the prophets agree. He has to die. So you need to stop it. After that incident, tension grew among the disciples as to who was more prominent. No doubt, Peter had or could argue on behalf of himself because he was included in the special three. They were not allowed to say what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. So when the three chosen came down, the other nine said, what happened up there? Not gonna tell you, not allowed. So it was a secret. And so that, the tensions began to grow like, okay, those are three, why not us? And of those three, John was fairly young Peter was clear and had just been... So there's a tension growing among them over who should be the greatest. This now starts coming up regularly. They traveled to Capernaum, where more seeds of discontent and discord were sown. Peter there, they came back to Capernaum, their hometown. They'd been out of the country. Okay, They'd been out of the borders of Israel. So they come back to Capernaum. They come to town and a... um, very uh, industrious tax man comes and grabs Peter and says, doth not thy Lord pay taxes? This is a Jewish tax, the temple tax. They've been out of town, so they're delinquent on their taxes. Peter is kind of offended and says, yes, he does. And then he's like, I'm going to talk to Jesus about this. So as they go to the house, probably Peter's house in Capernaum, All the disciples are going in the house, and here comes Peter with a head of steam. And what do we see here is that um, verse 25 of 17, and he he saith, yes, yes, he does pay tribute. When he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him. What does that mean? As he was going to come through the door and tell Jesus what was going on, Jesus stepped into the doorway, and said, Peter, a word with you? And then, alone, Jesus says, so about this tax, you said that uh, I'm going to pay it. Yes, I don't have to. What do you mean? Well, Peter, it's simple. Do the royals take taxes of their children? Well, no. So then I, the king, have to pay the temple tax? I guess I answered wrongly. Indeed, you did. However, so that they don't think of us badly, I'm going to send you on an errand. Go catch a fish. You see Peter, catch a fish. (laughs) Goes out, catches the fish, fish comes up, coin. All right, so this has been going on. Ever feel like you're on a bad roll? (laughs) Ever feel like everything you do is wrong? You just feel like, I do this, and I get rebuked by Jesus. I do this, I get rebuked by the Father. I do this, and I get embarrassed in front of the disciples. And I, every time I do something, it's the wrong thing to do. There's hope. We all get on those kinds of roles. We all get, you know, things that just don't go well for us. And we're all, we all get off. And Jesus says, Simon Simon I have prayed for thee it was the prayers of Jesus when thou art converted that means turned around when you get your head on straight strengthen my brethren. it was the prayers of Jesus the, the sustaining grace that brought him around but that's not going to happen until a while down the road after the resurrection. Well, we come to the Last Supper, last week's message. And we didn't touch on this because it's not in Matthew, but Peter's feet were part of that story. As you recall, they come into the upper room for that last supper, and what happens is the servants didn't notice that these men had come in with dirty feet. So somebody needed to do the servant household servant task. It's Passover week. It's like holiday week at your house. Everything's going on. Everybody's coming in. They all come in. They sit down. And whatever reason, the household servant doesn't doesn't see or notice that the men's feet are not washed. And they've just walked uh, from Bethany. So their feet may in fact be dirty. Well, somebody needs to wash feet. And you can imagine the disciples thinking about it. Our feet need to be washed. Well, who does it? We know who does it. Who does it is Jesus. Jesus gets up, takes the initiative, takes off his outer garment, his coat, if you will. He girdles himself, his tunic, and he begins to get down at Peter, to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, no, 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 no. no. I was hoping, you know, uh, maybe Andrew would do it, <laughs> not you. Jesus says, Peter, you have no part with me if you don't let me wash your feet. So then Peter says, okay, have it your way, wash all me. <laughs> Jesus says, no, you are clean, but you are not all clean which is to say that they were already saved, which is to say that 11 of them were saved, one was not. Peter, as an example of a Christian, needed not to have his body washed, which is a one-time thing in justification, but rather needed his feet washed. Sanctification, he needed the dirt. So again, wrong thing to say, wrong time to say it, then, before the supper, if you look at the John 13 passage, they begin to squabble over who should be the greatest. Right there in the upper room. You can read about it in John 13. And Jesus you know, is having to deal with all the things that he's having to deal with. He knows that he's just, just hours away from going to the cross. They've been fighting for six months. They won't stop fighting about this. He keeps telling them the same thing. He says you have to be like a child. He says that the last shall be first. And then to them he says, do not be as the Gentiles which seek to Lord over one another. You shall not. Well, if you turn with me to John 13, you can. we'll return to our text, but just to give a little bit more color to all this that's been going on between really all the disciples. Peter was just the the foremost and the prominent and the spokesperson, but it really was all the disciples, as, as we can see. But then it kind of becomes personal. John 13, Jesus has something to say. And We can look at maybe verse um, 31. So Jesus, once again, is going to say the same thing that he's been saying for six months. But now he's saying it's going to happen right now. So verse 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while. I am with you. You shall seek me and as I said unto the Jews whither I go ye cannot come so now I say to you. He's saying six months ago I said it was gonna happen now I'm saying it's just moments away a little while and I'm gonna go and where I go you can't come with me well this hurts Peter Look at verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, and he's always speaking for the others, Whither goest thou? Jesus answered, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. But thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. It's an interesting question. The passion, and that's my first point in all this. I've got four Ps of Peter. His passion, can you feel it? I will die for you, Jesus says. Will you? Answer to the question, yes. Peter did die for Jesus. He just didn't die that day. It would be decades later that it was not going to be an act of passion. It wasn't going to be Peter's uh, tempestuous, rash, uh, young, hot-bloodedness that would cause him to die a martyr. Because the work of God is not accomplished through passion. And Peter's passion was a problem. Our passion is not our friend in matters of service. You could be hot-blooded. You could be ready to go. I'm ready to go. The passion that burned so hot in love and loyalty was about to be tested. And Peter is not ready for this test. Yet, When Jesus said, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? The answer to the question is actually yes. For Peter will someday do just that, but not today. Peter's martyrdom will not come out of the passion and fire of youth and verve, but Jesus tells us in John that it's going to come like a child. At the end of the Gospel of John, he says, when you were a child, you were led where you would go. And when you're old, you'll be led to a cross. And you'll go like a child to die for me. But not now. You're going to go after a long life. You're going to go from a settled and resigned faith as an older man, not from youthful bravado. And there's a lesson in that from all of us. You can can have all the verve and passion and hot-bloodedness and eagerness and impatience. That is not how the work of God is done. We have to, as the Bible says, wait on the Lord. You'll get your chance, Peter, and you'll prove me. You'll prove yourself, but not today. Not this version of you. It'll be a different version. Two plans. (laughs) Partly what was happening here was Jesus had a plan, and Peter had a plan, and they were not the same. And that's something that you have to look out for in service. God has a plan. He does. He has a plan for your life. You don't submit your plans to God for his approval. God submits his plans to you for to do. (laughs) And and, and so too often times we've got our own plan. But God's plan is very clear in verse 31. Now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. God's plan is to glorify himself. That's it. That's God's will. God's plan is to glorify the Son. The Spirit's plan is to glorify Christ. That's the plan. Peter is not going to get the glory. And he's not going to get away in the way of the S-U-N of righteousness. Jesus has to shine bright. Daniel does say that we're gonna be as stars, but stars don't, are, are small, and they just accentuate the sun. S-U-N, or in this case, S-O-N, of God. The, he is got to receive the glory. And so when it comes to disputes over plans, our plans too often are for the glory, Go for the gusto. Peter had plans. His plan was simple. We're going to fight. Jesus' plan was, no, we're not going to fight. Because this is about God's glory. How often do we find out that our plan is not, was never, God's plan? Our plan was too soon, too bright, too much. Isn't that the truth? Too much us. Why do we not submit our plans to God, but rather submit ourselves to God's plans? Because there's always more going on than what we can see. We're, our perspective is very limited. Peter says, simple, I'm just going to be your bodyguard. Look at me. This is your protection. Jesus says, put your sword away. It's not my plan. Not now. Not here. I'm going to shine brightly, and I'm going to shine brightly by dying on the cross as a lamb, a toothless, if you will, like a lamb before the slaughter. There's always more involved in situations than we can see. That's why we need to be led. If Peter's plan had come true, there would be no substitutionary atonement, no salvation. Luke says that, and records that Peter said, I'm ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. But on this point, the Lord disagrees. No, Peter, that is not my plan. That's your plan. I'm going it alone. Because that's what the Bible says smite the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Peter's perspective needed to change. We think we know what's best for our own situation. We all think we do. But we don't have the perspective. The farther we follow our own path, the farther afield we will go. Look at Peter. You go to the future, where is he going to be? Fishing. (laughs) Is that God's plan for him? No. But Jesus is going to have to go find him and say, Okay, Peter, here we are. We're over here. We're fishing. That's not where we're supposed to be. You haven't been doing what you've been supposed to be doing for a long time. So you know what I'm going to do, Peter? I'm going to take you, and we're going to go all the way back. And go all the way back here to your point of departure. And we're going to start over. God's got plans. But we have to be directed. Three pride. Of course, you knew that one. Matthew 26, we return to. You can't talk about this story without seeing the obvious pride that Peter has in self reliance especially when he differentiates himself from the other men. (laughs) That's kind of rough. Verse 33 of our text in, in, in Matthew. Then it says, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I. Ooh, the word of pride right in the middle there. The letter I. Oh, yeah, those other guys, you can't count on them. But me we're talking about Peter here you can count on me oh it just makes you shiver never say I will never never say I will never do that Peter's personal pride gets the better of him singling himself out as the one who would not stumble that's what the word offended means pride is so apparent here one in Peter's refusal to accept the Lord's words, this is a, like a going a back and forth. Jesus keeps saying, "You're going to scatter, you're going to you're going to run away." You, Peter says, "Nope." Then he, Jesus says, "I'm going to die." Peter says, "Then so will I." G- Jesus says, "All the disciples are going to scatter, not me." It just he just never stops between the two of them. This is scripture. Zechariah thirteen seven said, "I will smite the sheep." shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. You can't break scripture. Some people think they're the one exception to the rule. Some people think they're the one person that can break scripture. Pride. Pride. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Never was that more true without in this situation where Peter singled himself out and said, I'm the exception to the rule. No, you're not. Nobody is. Please hear me now. Never think you're the one person to which the rule does not apply, the one exception, the one to whom all warning is wasted upon. What sounds like bravado is actually bragging. He is bragging. He's gone beyond bravado to say, I will not do this. Be very careful, even as a pastor, to criticize other people and say, I would never do that. I would never. Oh, watch. You will. You will do the thing that you said, I will never do. Because we're all subject to the same flesh, to the same passions, to the same pride. Be very careful. I will not deny thee, he says in 35. And then the other disciples say, Yeah, what he said. Beware the brag. Says James in James 3:5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. (laughs) How many fights were started by somebody saying, Oh, yeah, I'll show you what tough is? You're thinking, tongue. Now I'm going to get a beating <laughs> because of you. If you would just have stayed in there, I wouldn't be in this fight. If you would have just stayed in there, I wouldn't be in this situation. If you would have just stayed put, I wouldn't be in this mess. Yes, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. You know, the tongue doesn't know karate. All right? You say, I know karate. Wish I didn't say that because I don't. Um, once having said what, You will never do or criticize another for doing it. You will eat your words. Be prepared to chomp upon your own words. And swallowing it is not going to be pleasant. He said he'd never be offended by Jesus. But look at verse 56. There it says he's just one of 11 cowards. Nothing special about Peter in the end. They all forsook him and fled. But Peter maybe had a bit of guilt and still had a bit of bravado. So in verse 58, he says Peter followed him afar off said I got to get back in the game here so he does he had remember he had said he will not deny but in verse 70 but he denied before them all your fall will be public the more proud you are the more public you will fall the other ones never said it in the same way Peter did and yes they were cowards too but Peter was the one that was put in a position where he denied Jesus before everybody. This is the same man that's going to preach some 50 days later. He's going to have to eat his words. He sat in the seat of the scornful, joined the the little fire that they had built, jumped right in, your words will get you in the wrong place in the wrong time around the wrong people. How unpleasant it is to eat your own words and to swallow them. How many have bragged so or criticized so confidently only to find themselves falling into the pit that they have digged for themselves. Proverbs 26-27 says this, Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone it will return upon him and if I might add the higher they go the further they fall. Peter rolled that stone all the way up to the top and then when it let go it chased him all the way to the bottom. Peter had to experience this for himself to know that the boldest protestations not preclude failure in the moment of trial. So then what can keep us from falling? Jude 24, now unto him, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Confidence in the arm of flesh will fail you. Confidence in Christ will never fail you. It was was the prayers of Jesus that got Peter through. It reminds me of the time when Peter wandered off the boat, if you recall. Jesus walking upon the water. Peter says, can I come? He bounces out there. And then when he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened? He flailed. He drowned. But Matthew 14, 31 says, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Isn't that what's happening? You get yourself in a mess of trouble, and where's Jesus? Grab on. Grab on. Unto him that is able to keep us from falling. So it is with all of us when we take our eyes off the Lord. We are apt to fall precipitously. And even further, when we take our eyes off the Lord and place our all eyes on ourself. So the cure, he'll find out later, is prayer. But tonight... Is not going to be a night of prayer because it's a night of prayerlessness for Peter. Look Back at 40, 2640, if you're in Matthew 26 still, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. You know, I know you, mean it. I know you mean it with all your heart, but that's not enough. It's not enough. Jeremiah 17, 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Your heart can melt like wax. Your arm, once strong. Why did Peter not pray? Because he was packing. Use another P. He had a sword, remember? A dagger. Why pray when you got a weapon? Well, the sword of the Spirit, a secret weapon. In the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, but then there's the secret weapon, prayer. But in Peter's case, the secret weapon was a dagger that he had under his cloak. So why pray when you're packing? You got a weapon. And he was willing to use it. And use it he did. And in a flailing way, he missed the guy's head and got his ear. You want to know something funny? If you study this story carefully, and you go to verse 73, it says, And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely there are also one of them. You know who that person is that identified Peter positively? John says, it was the servant whose ear was cut off. Pretty hard to misplace that face. Yeah, that's him. He cut my ear off. Why is your ear on? Well, Jesus put it back on. But that's him, the big guy. How confident we are in our own devices and how little aware of our own weaknesses and the need for utter dependence on God. How often do we come to prayer in pretense or to just prove a point? If we could only grasp our weakness. Just one more, maybe two verses I'd like you to look at on the subject of prayer. 1 Kings 3.7 and then we'll close. How needful are we of prayer? I'm not against packing, by the way, but it's ultimately prayer. This is the kind of prayer that we need to pray, the kind of prayer that Solomon prayed as a young man. You know the story? King Solomon's just being established, and God comes calling. And God, in verse 5 of 1 Kings 3, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I shall give thee. We know what he asks for, but the reason I want to point out to you in verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. That's how you ought to pray. I may be king, but I'm just a child in my own eyes. And I need somebody to show me the way out and the way in. I have no confidence in my own abilities. I have no confidence in my own perception and perspective. I have no confidence in any of my flesh. I am but a little child. And I don't know the first thing about being king. Even though my dad was king, I still can't do it without you. How did God think about that? Verse 10, in the speech, please the Lord. That's what he wants to hear. I can't do it without you. I don't know the way unless you show me. I'm just a little child. This is the prayer and the person God can help. Not with pride, passion, with all the the pretense, and the plans. But the person who thinks of himself is in dire straits and in need of help. God will give wisdom and strength. I was thinking about this. I watched, I think it was Wilder the other day. Um, he was in the middle of the vestibule, and he decided to spin himself around like 15 times. And at the end of it, he stopped, And he started going like this. And I thought, what an apt illustration of us. We spin ourselves around in so many circles, and then when it's time to walk, we bump into this, and we bump into this, and we bump into this. Because we're all spun around, we're all dizzy, we're not being led by the hand of God. Well, the good news is, and I want to close with the good news, Peter learned his lesson. How do I know that? 1 Peter 4. He learned his lesson. And you know what happens when you learn a lesson? You teach it to someone else. And Peter is determined to teach other people the lesson that he learned directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he repeats the words of his master, and in 1 Peter 4 7, he says, But the end of all things is at hand, just like that night in the garden. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. That's the way. I didn't do that. I didn't take it serious. I trusted my sword. I trusted my strength. But now I know when the end of all things is at hand, which is us, living in these last days, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Which he took from Jesus, who once told him, Watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Let's pray. Father, we are but a little child. No matter how old we are, no matter how tall we are, no matter how strong we are, no no matter what weapons we have, we're but a little child. Little in stature, little in wisdom, little in understanding. Confused, lead us, Father. Show us how to go out and how to come in. Help us to stay always dependent, always humble, always praying, always watching. We pray.